Hello and welcome to the podcast for Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. My name is Lee Younger. I'm one of the pastors here, and this is a message that I gave on Sunday morning, December 10th, 2023, from the Gospel of Luke in chapter 2. All right. So um, we are in the season of Advent, and in this season, we are talking about an ancient prophecy from the book of Isaiah, where Isaiah the prophet looked at the king in his face and said, the Lord himself is going to give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and she will call him Emmanuel. We find out in the book of Matthew that Emmanuel means God with us, and that's what God did, that God himself became one of us so that he could rescue us. Now, the thing is, when you read through some of these narratives, what you find is when God shows up with us, it changes people. People respond in certain ways, or they become a certain type of person. And so I wanted to look at some of these stories and say, okay, Emmanuel, God with us, now who are we? Who do we become? All right, we're going to look at the Gospel of Luke in chapter 2. If you'd like to follow along, if you have a copy of the scriptures with you, otherwise, no worries, I'll read it. Um, Okay, but before we do, I have a question, a couple questions, and this is a respond out loud type of situation. So don't be afraid, don't don't worry about it. Um, My first question is, have you ever tried to pay for somebody's lunch and they like fought you on that and they wouldn't let you do it? And you're like, would you just relax? I'm paying for lunch. It's not a big deal. It's a sandwich. Okay, a little bit flip. Has anybody ever tried to pay for your lunch and you super resisted that act? You've been on, yeah, shoe on the other foot? I remember being in college one time and, uh, and Potts asked me to go to lunch with him and I went and at the end of the lunch, he grabs like both tickets and I was like, you know, Potsy, what, what do you mean? I can, I can totally cover this. And he gave me like the world record for eye rolls of, in the history of the world. He's like, please, you're a broke college kid. Give me those tickets. Um, so here's, an, here's another type of question. Have you ever learned something, but then like the next time you tried to do it, you had to learn it all over again from scratch? What's up with that? Why, if I learned it, why don't I just have it now? Like, I don't want to have to go back to square one. There was a time where Tom and I were team officiating a wedding. This was for our friends Renee and Todd Black. And Renee let it be known, you will not be wearing suits. You will not be wearing jackets. This is your dress code. And I always think that's helpful. Like, whatever the bride wants us to do, just let me know. I'll do it. I don't care. She said, your dress code is khaki pants, a white button-down shirt, and a bow tie. And Tom and I both looked at each other like, I was like, do you have a bow tie? He was like, do you have a bow tie? I was like, I don't have a bow tie. So we had to borrow bow ties. And then we had to look up some YouTube video and Christy tied the bow tie for me. And, um, and then like, then there was like a bow tie renaissance. And people have been busting out bow ties all the time. People love a bow tie. And so, you know, I do a lot of weddings and stuff like that. So I'm tying them on groomsmen. I'm tying them on myself. And here's the thing. I've tied so many bow ties, y'all. I have to watch that stupid YouTube video every single time. Every time. Every time I have to fire up the YouTube and it's this really pleasant British man who in two minutes and 24 seconds teaches you how to tie a bow tie. You know, with that wonderful, just a wonderful, you know, London accent. So anyway, okay, uh, let's take that question one layer deeper. Has God ever had to teach you something more than one time? Have you ever had to learn something that he was trying to teach you and then learn it again? 
why don't we just have it? Why do we have to always relearn all these things we're learning in our spiritual lives? Okay, we're going to get into all that. My, my thought is, what if, there was, what if there was an idea or a concept or a thought? And once I got it, then like, I wouldn't have to learn and relearn and relearn everything that I'm walking through in my spiritual life over and over again. I don't know if that's completely possible, but I have an idea of something. So we're going to check this out together. Um, if you want to follow with me, I'm in Luke chapter 2, verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius, I knew that was going to be hard, Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth to Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem to the town of David because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room available for them in the house. Okay. Um, now, this is obviously an extremely familiar passage for anybody that has either grown up in church or read the Bible a little bit or just experienced Christmas. You've probably heard this a lot. But when I sat down to read this this week and to prepare for our time together, Something struck me that has never struck me before, and it was like a punch in the face. And that is that Christmas is about taxes. <laughs> Anybody ever thought about that? It's not something you usually see like on a, a Christmas card or anything like that. Um, it's not something that we usually associate with the season. It's not in any of the movies or anything like that. But in the first five verses of Luke chapter 2, there is one word that's used four times. And um, now we've translated it two different ways, but it, in the original language, it's the same exact word. And by the way, whenever you're trying to understand scripture and you're doing Bible study, look for repeated words. They're giving you a clue. The author is telling you, hey, pay attention to this. In this, and, and I'll show you what I mean, in this, these few verses, every time the word census is used or the word to register or the word register, this is the exact same word. If you have one word, Four times in five verses, that's almost, like a, that's almost like a beat in a song. It's like a, and a one, and a two, and a three, let's Christmas. You know, like this is a big thing right here. Um, I'll show you what I mean. Uh, I know we just read it. We're going to do this again. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. Skip down to verse 5. Joseph went there to register with Mary. Ba-boom, ba-boom, ba-boom. It's just like in your face. Christmas is about taxes. Merry Christmas. Uh, yay. Um, this is a story that begins and is about a debt that is owed to a very powerful person, a very powerful king, that must be paid. That's what Christmas is about. It's about a debt that is owed to a very powerful king that has to be paid. Real quick, this guy, uh, Caesar Augustus, that it talks about, um, I had to phone a friend on this one, even though I have a history degree, don't worry, it was, it was, that was like 22 years ago. That was a long time ago. But um, So I phoned a friend who really loves Roman history, he's right there, and um, we were talking about this guy, Caesar Augustus. This is a guy that was, he was born Gaius Octavius, he was the grandnephew of Julius Caesar, who dissolved the Republic and was kind of the first emperor, but this guy really did it, okay? Because, you know, Julius Caesar's friends, they all 
killed him and everything. And it was, there was a whole deal. There were plays about it. And this guy inherits. So Caesar had, had like, uh, he, had, he had named his, his successor, kind of adopted him. So he inherits the name Caesar. And then he and the Senate, they come up with this title, Augustus. And this guy ruled the world in a way that no one else in history ever had. He was an absolute brilliant administrator. He knew how to get everything he could out of all of the territories that he had dominion over. In some ways, people say he was the first like true, uh, wor the word would be like a hegemon, a hegemony, like total dominance over whatever in the world he either knew was there or wanted. I mean, he knew some, there were some villages up there and they're, you know, kind of stone. I don't want those. But everything that I know of or want is mine. This guy was more powerful than Alexander the Great. He was more power, powerful than Xerxes or any of the pharaohs or Nebuchadnezzar, David, any of those, any of these people. This is not only the most powerful person in the world, the most powerful person the world had ever seen. And I want us to take a, just a second and reflect on something. And let the hush fall on you. Because at the moment when there was one human being that said, whatever I want, I have. The most powerful person in the history of the world, that's the moment that Jesus came. In that reign, that's when he came. So this guy, his entire thing, his entire empire, it depends on money. He has to keep expanding. He's got to get loyalty and soldiers and spears, and they got to keep going and getting more and more stuff. It was like very thin margins. Like to make this thing work, he's got to squeeze every penny he can out of everybody in this empire. So that word, the census or register, it's a word that literally means out of everybody, like I'm going to write down. I'm going to write down out of, like, out of everybody, I'm going to write down your name. And out of everybody, I'm going to write down your name and his, his name and her name. Out of everybody we've got, I want everybody's name written down, not because he cared about them, not because he was interested in them, not because he wanted to know anything about their stupid small lives. He just needed their money to keep this thing going. So he counted everybody. He counted all the people so he could get all that he could get. And that power that he had went all the way across the Mediterranean Sea and then all the way up north into this little town where these teenage newlyweds now had to, they had to bow the knee and they had to incline the head and they had to go 90 miles on feet and on a donkey in her third trimester, like going from Oak Ridge to Chattanooga, in your third trimester on a donkey. And that's how far this guy's power extended. They had to do it. There was no arguing. There was, there, there was no reprisal. You had to go. You had to do it. Even though Mary and Joseph, they had royal blood flowing through their veins. They were descendants of King David. But they had to do it. I mean, that's some power. When you can tell some little teenage newlyweds, who's, a girl who's in her third trimester to go 90 miles on foot, in her third trip, that's some power. This is a powerful dude. Here's the thing, though. As powerful and brilliant and, and kind of amazing person as Augustus was, um, this wasn't really about his power at all. Actually, 650 years before this guy made this decree, a prophet of Israel, of Judah, named Micah, said that Bethlehem Ephratah, though you are little among 
among all the towns of Judah. Yet from, one, from you, one will come who is, whose origins are of old, a ruler who's going to rule and his kingdom will go on forever. His kingdom will have no end. Now that's some power. 650 years. This guy, Augustus, he's a pawn. He has an idea. He wants the money. He wants to keep this thing going. He's just a, a, an adorable little cog in this great big machine that God has been working on for hundreds and hundreds of years. In fact, if that little teenage couple had not gone to Bethlehem and had not had that baby, I bet the only people in this room who would even know or care who Caesar Augustus is would be like Brad and George and a couple other of you guys. <laughs> Nobody else would even know this guy's name. We never would have known about him except for the baby that was born while he was in control. So, is it a story about taxes after all? If he, he's not even that important. He's just a pawn. He's just a cog in the machine. Is it a story about a debt that's owed to a powerful king and has to be paid? Oh, yes. You cannot imagine how profoundly Christmas is a story about a debt that is owed to a powerful king that has to be paid. You see... Every single person who was ever made, all of you, me, I'm going to point the finger at myself too, every single person who was ever made was made by God to know him and to love him, to be in a relationship, a friendship with the Almighty himself. He made you all. All of us, completely individual. All your personality and all of your hang-ups and all of your pet peeves and the way that you laugh and all that stuff. He made you individually because he likes you. And he wants a friendship with exactly you. Isn't that amazing? That's staggering. There's no amening. There's no anything. But guys, almighty God liked you so much he wants to be your friend. Come on now. That's good stuff. I mean, if I had made that up and nobody responded, I'd be like, man, come on, y'all, that was pretty good. I didn't make it up. This is the truth of God's word. He made you an individual because he wanted you in his life. That's wild. You know, when you, meet, when you first meet the person that you fall in love with and you want to spend the rest of your day with, what if you not only met them and fell in love with them? <laughs> this is staggering. What if you made them because you wanted to spend forever with them? I made them on purpose because you're the kind of person I want to spend forever with. And every single one of us has said to him in our own ways and our own unique flavor of it, I don't want that. Now, you may be like, I've never said that to God. I've never told God I don't want a life with you in it. You have, and I have too. And it's in the way that we basically have come up with our own rules for living. This is where I'm going to find life. I'm going to do life on my terms, my way. I will do and say and think and judge and hold grudges and do. I will live my own way and I will find my own version of life. Have we done that? Yeah, we've all done that. And as a result, we are now in this weird position where we have a debt that we can never possibly pay back. Romans chapter 6 says the wages of sin is death. That's what the Bible calls sin, is me on my own, doing my own life, my own way. Whatever God wants from me, I'm doing this. My way, my rules, my terms, that's it. That's what sin is. And the wages of sin is death. What we've done is we've incurred this enormous debt that we could never pay back. If I had a thousand lifetimes, I could never pay the debt that I owe to the king of the universe. 
And if I had a thousand lifetimes, all I would do is screw it up a thousand more times in a thousand more different ways because my heart is busted. I don't need more chances to do this. I can't do it. Is anybody else amen on that? Like, I just can't do it. I need something else. I need something revolutionary. What I need is I need a whole, kind, a whole new kind of heart to come out of heaven and take mine and trade places with it. And wouldn't you know, this is what Christmas was, is that God himself is saying, I made you to know me. I made you to love me. I made you to be in a friendship with me. I made you on purpose for that because I really like who you're going to be. I can't wait till you see who you're going to be in our friendship. And all of us have said, I don't want that. And he's like, okay. And now we have this unpayable debt that we could never pay back to the king of the universe. And so the king of the universe, get your amens ready. The king of the universe has come down here to pay the debt himself that is owed to him. That's ludicrous. So Jesus lived a beautiful, perfect life, one that we could never even imagine. The first person in the history of the world who lived up to who he was supposed to be the whole time, every second of every single day, even when he was asleep. Don't ask me to explain it. Theologians calmed down. The whole time, he never did anything, anything out of step. And then he took that perfect life, that new kind of heart, and when he died for us on the cross, he was saying, I will take your busted heart and all of the, the pain and the guilt and the injustice and the cruelty that's come from all of us living however we wanted to. That's how we got this world, by the way. All of our cruelty and injustice and pain and, and unhealth, all of it, it all comes from us just living our own way. I'm going to take all of that into my heart and I'm going to take my heart and give it to you the one that never, ever, ever messed up one time. And it's just a gift. I'm going to be real careful with this language. If you've come to know Jesus, can I tell you something really cool about you? You owed an unpayable debt to the king of the universe that has to be paid. I notice I used the past tense. You owed. If you know Jesus, you don't owe it anymore. You don't owe it anymore. You're, you're done. It's over. And if some of you, if that makes your heart feel a little bit lighter, that's the intention. You don't owe that anymore. You will never owe it again. It's completely and totally paid for. The king has paid the debt that was owed to himself. That's such a transformative concept. That is such an unbelievable thought. And if I could get that thought in my brain and down in my heart, do you know that I actually think that I would not have to learn so many things over and over and over again? I was thinking this week about um, some times that Jesus either like talked about taxes or dealt with debt, and there are a lot of them, and I just chose a couple. So in Matthew chapter 17, there's this, there's this place where Peter, one of Jesus' students, is hanging out, um, and he's hanging around these guys, and they want to talk to, them, to, to him about Jesus. And they're like, you know what? Uh, you're with Jesus, right? Yes, I happen to be with Jesus, yes. Um, <laughs> Peter kind of saw himself as like the chief of staff, you know, and he's like the Leo McGarry of the Jesus administration. And so he's like, you could say that I'm with Jesus. Yes. And um, and they said, well, the thing is, we never saw your master pay the temple tax. Does your master pay the temple tax? And instead of 
doing what he should have done, which is, you know, I'm actually not the chief of staff. I'm just kind of one of the students. I don't really know a lot about him. I'm trying to learn about him. Maybe I could, we could hit pause and I could go ask him and then I could give you a better answer. That would be really cool. But that would kind of make Peter look stupid. And so instead of that, he goes, of course he pays the temple tax. <laughs> Runs that mouth. Why? Because I don't want to look bad. Why? Because I super care what everybody thinks about me all of the time. That's what, that, that is why he did that. So then later, Peter sees Jesus, and Jesus is like, hey, did you tell people that I have to pay the temple tax like the rest of y'all? And Peter's like, that might have been Thomas. I don't know. If, <laughs> yeah, I told, I, I did. Is that, was, that, was that bad? Okay, here's the deal. I know you don't understand this, but like, um, I made the world. Um, I invented everything. Like, the law of thermodynamics, you don't even know what that is. That was my idea. Like, I... I am on this earth as the, the manifestation of, of what the temple was just a picture of. You can't even comprehend how much I don't have to pay that tax. <laughs> but here's what we're going to do. Take your fishing line, go down to the water. The first fish you catch, there will be a coin inside that fish's mouth. It will be enough to cover my tax. I'll pay it. And yours, pal. I'll cover you too. I'm going to cover your shame and I'm gonna pay for you. I'm gonna pay for your tax. So he did, went down to the water, there's the fish. How long ago did that, when did that coin get dropped in there? When did Jesus tell the fish to eat the coin? How long has it been toting it around? Amazing, just think about it. It's just so fun to think about how powerful Jesus is. Augustus is like, I want money. Jesus is like, just go fishing. You, I can get money whenever, whenever I want it. Uh, the very next chapter, um, very next chapter, Matthew chapter 18, Jesus is telling a story about a, a, a money lender this guy owes this dude 10, uh, this is in one of the versions, 10,000 bags of gold. I think that story should always be told in that voice. He owed 10,000 bags of gold. Y'all, I've never even seen one bag of gold. <laughs> Next time somebody says, what do you want for Christmas? I'm like, I want a bag of gold. <laughs> like, that's crazy, man. 10,000 bags of gold. And so he goes, you there who owe me 10,000 bags of gold, come hither and pay it. And he's like, and he begs him. He's like, I could never, I can't pay it. Would you please, please, please forgive my debt? And the money lender says, yes, you are forgiven. And he's like, Whew. goes right outside the building, goes into the alley and finds a guy that owes him 100 bucks, grabs him by the shirt, throws him up against the wall. He's like, where's my 100 bucks? And the guy's like, I don't know, I don't have it, I can't pay it. And he has him thrown in prison, in debtor's prison. So then the moneylender finds out about it, and he's like, uh, did I forgive a debt to you for 10,000 bags of gold? <laughs> and he's like, you did. Did you call in a debt of $100? I think you're missing something here. Over in uh, Luke chapter 7, Jesus is telling another story about a debt that's forgiven. Because a guy was judging this woman and he was judging Jesus. And they were having their own little beautiful moment. And then Jesus looks up at the guy and he says, can I tell you a story? Uh, two people owed this money lender. One owed a whole bunch and one owed not as much. Like a, 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 like a really small amount. Um, the money lender forgives both of them. Which do you think would love the lender more? And this guy goes... I, I mean, I guess the one who had the bigger debt. And Jesus goes, yes, you have judged correctly. Not like before when you totally judged incorrectly. Um, there's something that happens in us when we don't understand debt 
and forgiveness. There's something that happens in us when we don't understand this concept of I don't have any debt with the almighty king of the universe and I super should. Every single day, I should calibrate my heart here before my feet hit the floor. An unpayable debt that I owed to the king of the universe was paid for me by the king himself in giving his life because I am so precious to him that he would rather not have heaven if I'm not in it. He loves me so much that he literally gave himself to pay my debt and I don't have any more debt. That should be where when I get that down, now I'm ready to go out into my day. Now I'm ready to go have, uh, have a conversation with someone. Now I'm ready to go have a friendship with someone. Now I'm ready to go face it. And I wonder if I truly got that, like down in my bones, would I stop caring what people think about me so much? Because what I care what you think about me, the king of the universe, I'm so precious to him that he gave his own perfect heart for me. You know, Augustus counted people. To, to Jesus, people count. He didn't count people like cattle. All he counts is every hair on your head. That's how much you mean to him. That's how much individual care. That's how precious you are to him. Now, for me, he's counting less and less every day, but he's counting them. He knows the total. He knows it's going down. What if I had this principle, this truth, so deep in my bones that I would never, ever, ever have the audacity to not forgive someone. I would never have the audacity to hold a grudge against another human being. What if I had this principle so deep down in my bones that it just made me love Jesus? It just makes me love you. I'm so precious to you that you gave your life for me. You're the king. Like you'd rather not have heaven if I wasn't in it. It just makes me love you an unpayable debt to the king of the universe was paid for me by the king himself. I think I want to start figuring out how to let him pay. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for paying. In a second, we're going to take communion and we're going to remember again what we just talked about. And I'm praying this week that you would help us to start calibrating our heart on this thought. That the reason that you shed blood, the reason that your body was broken, was because I'm precious to you. Because I'm a treasure to you. Because you want to be friends. And so you paid it all. Let that be where I start the day. In the name of Jesus, amen. Once in royal David City Stood a lowly cattle shed Where a mother laid a baby
Is our Lord and 